This is Jose Figueroa with an Approved Workman, where we are rightly dividing the word of truth. Welcome to another time of Bible study. I am glad that you're here as we open up God's word one more time. Our current series is Growing Grace, Growing Knowledge, a study of the book of 2 Peter. If you're new to this Bible teaching ministry, here is how you can learn more about our work. You can start by visiting at our website, www.anapprovedworkman.org. That's anapprovedworkman.org. On the website, you can learn more about the purpose of this ministry, our approach to Bible study, and also review our statement of faith. You can also listen to previous episodes of our current series on 2 Peter or any episodes from previous Bible study series we have completed. You can also subscribe to the podcast, which is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and other podcast directories. You can also connect with an approved workman on social media. On Instagram, we are at an approved workman. On Pinterest, we are an approved workman. And our Facebook page is facebook.com slash an approved workman 215. Finally, you can also subscribe to our video channels to ensure you don't miss any episodes of the video versions of our lessons. These are available on either YouTube or Rumble. Today, we are in lesson number three in the series, Growing Grace, Growing Knowledge, from the book of 2 Peter. This is volume two of our series, Strangers and Pilgrims, a study of first and second Peter. The lesson for today is called Call to Abundant Living, Part 3, and our focus passage is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 21. Please find your way in your Bible to that passage. In chapter 1 of 2 Peter, the apostle reminds believers that they have been granted everything they need for life and godliness. In our previous episode, we continued our study of 2 Peter chapter 1. We focused on our second division called to fruitful lives from verses 5 through 11. The Apostle Peter, after reminding his audience of their great redemption, went on to exhort him to not just be satisfied with that great knowledge, as magnificent as it is. There is more. He reminded them that our sanctification process should lead to spiritual growth and fruitfulness. There are works to be done that have been prepared for those of us who are in Christ. And as believers, we are encouraged to take an active part in that sanctification process so that the very qualities of Jesus Christ are more than evident in our lives. We are expected to produce spiritual fruit as we stay connected as we remain in him. So let's review the principle and application from that second division called to fruitful lives. The principle, in Christ alone, we can lead fruitful godly lives to God's glory. In Christ alone, we can live fruitful godly lives to God's glory. As a way of application, we ask this question. How are the qualities of a fruitful godly life 
showing up in your life? How are the qualities of a fruitful, godly life showing up in your life? If you missed that previous episode, I encourage you to go listen to the podcast or watch the video version of that lesson. Today we conclude our study of 2 Peter chapter 1. We now understand that our great redemption in Jesus Christ enables us to live full lives. We also know that because of His Holy Spirit working in us, we can live fruitful lives. As we look at the final portion of this chapter, we will understand how we can live firm lives because we have a firm foundation. In his commentary on 2 Peter, Dr. Warren Worsby provides us with great context for our lesson today. He says, quote, The best defense against false teaching is true living. A church filled with growing Christians, vibrant in their faith, is not likely to fall prey to apostates with their counterfeit Christianity. But this Christian living must be based on the authoritative Word of God. The Christian who knows what he believes and why he believes it will rarely be seduced by the false teachers and their devious doctrines. End quote. Here's our lesson outline and goal for our teaching from 2 Peter chapter 1. Again, the lesson is called Call to Abundant Living, part 3. In part 1, we looked at verses 1 through 4, called to full lives. Then in part 2, we looked at verses 5 through 11, we are called to fruitful lives. And then today, we will look at verses 12 through 21, we are called to firm lives. And my goal for the teaching from 2 Peter chapter 1 is this, to encourage believers to remember that because of our calling in Jesus Christ, we have everything we need to live full, fruitful, and firm lives. Again, the goal for the teaching today is to encourage believers to remember that because of our calling in Jesus Christ, we have everything we need to live full, fruitful, and firm lives. Let's go ahead and get started as we go to our third and final division, Call to Firm Lives, verses 12 through 21. Verse 12. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by the way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. Verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, 
such a declaration as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this declaration made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Verse 19, and so we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture becomes a matter of someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. 2 Peter 1, verses 12 through 21. As we get started and we look at verse 12, Peter tells him that while he knows that they know these things he's been talking about, and also that they are established in the truth, he's always ready to remind them of these things. This brought to my mind how Peter closed his first letter with an encouragement to stand firm. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12. Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. 1 Peter 5, 12. So Peter knows that even though we may have heard something before, and we know it, we believe it, it is always helpful to be reminded of the truth of Scripture. It happened to him and to his fellow apostles because more than one time, Jesus had to remind them of some truth he already had taught them. He had to teach them the same lessons over and over. Sometimes in our pride, we tune out a sermon or a Bible lesson because, quote, I have heard that one before. He has preached on that before, end quote. That's just absolute arrogance on our part. The truth of Scripture is inexhaustible. We can never get enough of it. Reminders are helpful and necessary. The age apostle Peter knew that very well. And in his Bible commentary, Dr. Wiersbe tells us that that was, what, that was one of his key motivations for Peter writing this letter. He says, quote, Peter knew that our minds have a tendency to get accustomed to truth and then to take it for granted. We forget what we ought to remember, and we remember what we ought to forget. The readers of this letter knew the truth and were even established in it, but that was no guarantee they would always remember the truth and apply it." End quote. As we move ahead with verses 13 through 15, we also know that there is also a great urgency in Peter's words, because he knows his time in this world is short as it had been revealed to him by the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not exactly sure how that was revealed, but Peter was certain of it, completely certain. Based on the understood timeline for the writing of this letter, 
and his martyrdom at the hands of Nero, Peter probably had one or two years left at most. So he is taking this time, he has left, to remind them of their great redemption and their great responsibility. He's also writing things down so they could always have his words available. God, in his mighty and inscrutable providence, made sure we had his word available to us. He chose the men in the Old Testament and the New Testament in their time and place, with their unique experiences and abilities to capture what he wanted us to know. And that's precisely Peter's point in this next few verses, verses 16 through 18. As we discuss in our introductory lesson, one of the main reasons for this letter, this second letter of Peter, is to prepare the believers for the onslaught of false teachers that will come into the church or perhaps they were already there. It is important that believers know that the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ by the apostles was not based on some made-up story or fairy tale. This was a constant battle for the church, and it is still a point of contention today. How many people have you heard say, quote, the Bible is made up by men, it's just stories, end quote. So that refrain is not new. Therefore, Peter wants them to remember that he and the other apostles were eyewitnesses of the Lord's majesty. He recalls a great event in his life to make his point, the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Peter was with James and John, and they were eyewitnesses as God the Father gave the Son honor and glory. On that holy mountain, God the Father declared that this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This was the affirmation by God the Father that Jesus is the one he sent from heaven to bring salvation to all men. All three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record the event, Matthew 17, Mark chapter 9, Luke chapter 9. This underscores the significance of the transfiguration. And while the Apostle John did not record this event in his Gospel account, in that account, and also the letters he wrote to the church, he also spoke about being a night witness of the Lord Jesus Christ's majesty. Look at John chapter 1 verse 14 and 1 John chapter 1 verses 1 through 4. In his Bible study guide for 2 Peter, Dr. N.T. Wright talks about why Peter particularly pointed to the transfiguration event to counter the false teachers. He said, quote, Presumably by this stage in the early church, some of the opponents of the faith were scoffing at the extraordinary tales that were going around about Jesus. Peter insists that it was the truth. The result of this eyewitness testimony is that the apostles could look back on the entire world of biblical prophecy, represented by Moses and Elijah, that great, untidy, all-over-the-place story which functioned all through as a set of signposts pointing forward to what was to come and could see that in retrospect, it all 
make sense. End quote. In the same manner, in verse 19, Peter affirms that we have a prophetic word that is sure. It is true. The entire Old Testament spoke prophetically about the coming and the ministry of God's chosen one. This is something that also Jesus affirmed consistently. Look at John chapter 5, beginning in verse 39. He's speaking to the Jewish leaders. He tells them, You examine the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is those very scriptures that testify about me. And yet you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. John 5, verses 39 and 40. After his resurrection, he said these words to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Luke 24, beginning in verse 25. And then he said to them, You foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to come into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things written about himself in all the scriptures. Luke 24 verses 25 through 27. As a team at the Bible Project love to say, the Bible is one unified story that leads to Jesus. In his commentary on 2 Peter, Dr. R.C. Sproul speaks about how the New Testament writers viewed the Old Testament scriptures. He said, quote, the apostles did not need to see the prophetic word of the Old Testament confirmed by what they will learn in the New Testament era. Peter, as with all the Jews of his day, was already fully convinced of the full authority of the scriptures of the Old Testament. This is a common motif in the New Testament, that the truth of the New Testament is declared as it represents a fulfillment of something in the Old Testament. End quote. Peter says that this truth of God, this word of God, is like a lamp that shines in a dark place and they should pay attention, they should heed it. Peter also tells us that they should continue paying attention and obeying the word of God until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. That's a very interesting phrase. If you do a simple search for that term, or also day star, you will find references in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. For example, Isaiah 14 verses 12 through 15, Revelation 2 verses 20, verse 28, and Revelation 22, verse 16. So who or what is this morning star? Here's what we find in the Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary. Quote, New Revised Standard Version translation of Hebrew term called Lucifer by the King James Version and Morning Star or Star of the Morning by other translations. The planet Venus appears as a morning star at dawn. Isaiah 14.12 
compares the splendor of the Babylonian king to the day star. That's in the New Revised Standard Version. 2 Peter 1.19 describes Christ as the morning star which outshines the light of the earlier prophetic witness. The Hebrew term appears only in Isaiah 14.12. The translation Lucifer comes from the Latin translation called the Vulgate. So again, this is what you find in the Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary regarding the term the morning star. So therefore, when you look at 2 Peter and the rest of the testimony of the scriptures, Jesus Christ is that ultimate morning star. He is that ultimate revelation of God that brings salvation to them. Hebrews 1, 1-3 says that how God spoke through the prophets before and through the fathers, but now his final word, his final revelation is his son, Jesus Christ. He is that morning star. In his commentary on the New Testament use of the Old Testament, Dr. D.A. Carson expands on this imagery of the morning star. He says, quote, The imagery of the morning star probably derives from Numbers 24, 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will arise out of Israel. Certainly the coming of a star is widely connected in early Judaism with the coming of the messianic figure, sometimes understood to be a new priest, sometimes a ruler, for example, a prince of the congregation. What is in view is Jesus' return, a theme certainly of interest to Peter, as we will see in 2 Peter 3, verses 10 through 13. End quote. So, very clearly, Peter, when he's talking about the morning star, he's putting together all those references, all those indications in the Old Testament about the, the coming Messiah, the coming uh, ultimate high priest, all those things, all that mosaic of messianic prophecies that they all converge on the person of Jesus Christ. And one day, as Peter speaks here, one day Jesus Christ will return to reigning glory and we will reign with him. He is the morning star and he will give himself to us as we saw in our study of the book of Revelation. However, he has already given himself to us. He's already risen in our hearts, even as we walk in this darkened world. And because he is the light and we are in him, we walk in the light. The Gospel of John continually speaks as Jesus as the light and life of men. John chapter 1, John chapter 3, John chapter 8. John chapter 9, Jesus is the light of the world. And when we cling to that truth as he is the light of our lives, we stay faithful to stay in the scriptures. Peter says, do not neglect the word of God. Pay attention to it. Study it. Obey it. In verses 20 to 21, Peter is going to close this section by affirming the divine origin of the scriptures. It is God himself. He tells him that no prophecy 
of scripture came as a matter of man's interpretation. They didn't come up with these words. They were moved by the Holy Spirit. They're divinely inspired words from God himself. In the Old Testament, you see repeatedly the word of the Lord came to uh, the prophets, men who were moved, guided, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down what God wanted them to write, what he wanted preserved for his people. Again, God chose the men in the Old Testament and the New Testament in their time and place with their unique experiences and abilities to capture what he wanted us to know. In his Bible commentary, uh, Dr. John MacArthur speaks about how the Holy Spirit worked in the lives of these men, this idea of how they were moved by the Holy Spirit. He says, quote, Grammatically, this means that they were continually carried or borne along by the Spirit of God, who is the divine author and originator, the producer of the Scriptures. In the Old Testament alone, the human writers refer to their writings as the words of God over 3,800 times. Though the human writers in Scripture were, were active rather than passive in the process of writing Scripture, God the Holy Spirit superintended them so that, using their own individual personalities, thought processes, and vocabulary, they composed and recorded without error the exact words God wanted written, end quote. Therefore, it is God's word. You can build your life on its truth because it comes from the one who is truth. In his Bible commentary, Dr. Tony Evans speaks about why we can build our lives on the Bible. He says, quote, thus, the Bible is uncontaminated and completely without error in the same way that the Holy Spirit protected Jesus from sin in his conception and birth, even though it included human involvement. Thus, we can confidently say that Scripture's true author is God. End quote. There is nothing more certain in this world than the Word of God. Did you trust it? Well, that's the end of our third and final division from Second Peter chapter 1. What's our principle? God's Word alone provides the foundation for firm, godly lives. God's Word alone provides the foundation for firm, godly lives. All scripture is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. How are you letting the truth of scripture become the firm foundation of your godly Well, that's our lesson for today. How can we apply what we have learned in this chapter? We have been called to abundant living. But what does that mean in a practical sense? How do we do that each day? The truth of the matter is that we cannot do it without divine empowerment. We cannot do it by our own means. We cannot do it in the flesh. 
we are not able. In reality, abundant living is really spirit-led living. The Holy Spirit of God is the one who can bring us the kind of life that's like a spring of living water. The Prince of Preachers, Charles Spurgeon, put it this way, quote, You're not capable of performing the lowest act of the divine life, except as you receive strength from God the Holy Spirit. In little as well as in great things, the just must live by faith. End quote. That's from a sermon he preached on November 11, 1860. Through the Holy Spirit, we receive first spiritual regeneration. We go from death to life. Through the Holy Spirit is how we are going through a spiritual transformation process, sanctification, spiritual growth. And it is the Holy Scriptures inspired by the Holy Spirit and it's the Holy Spirit who illuminate to us the Holy Scriptures so we can have a spiritual foundation. Do you want to be a spring of living water as opposed to a pool of stagnant water? You must come to Jesus by faith. You must believe in the Son of God who paid the penalty for your sins so that you might have abundant and eternal life. And if you're a believer, you must engage and cooperate daily with the Holy Spirit for your spiritual growth, your sanctification. And you must build your life on the true foundation of Scripture. Build on the rock, not sand, as you wait for your final glorification. Jesus put it this way. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he said in reference to the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. John 7, 37-39 But the Spirit has come. He indwells everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. And it is Him, God the Holy Spirit, who empowers our abundant living, our Spirit-led living. This concludes our teaching from 2 Peter chapter 1. Thank you for being here today. In our next episode, we will begin our study of 2 Peter chapter 2. Until then, this is Jose Figueroa for an approved world where we are rightly dividing the word of truth. May God richly.